0: Welcome to episode 28 of Land the Plane Podcast.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another episode of Land the Plane Podcast. My name is Dustin.
0: And I'm Jonathan.
1: And we are excited to be back joining you in another wonderful show, hopefully. That's what we're shooting for tonight. And uh, we're just glad you uh, joined us again this week. So welcome aboard, everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just had one of those one of those times when, like several times during the podcast, I have those times where I just look at it and go like, what are we doing? <laughs> like we're actually getting to do this, we're recording podcasts and playing them, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's kind great. of. It's pretty cool. It's co- it's very cool.
1: It's very uh, a great honor to get to do it, and we can only do that because we have so many great listeners out there that tune in each and every show, and y'all spread the word, and so we're so thankful of that. Oh, quick story about that. Um, I don't think I shared with the audience yet. Somebody, one of our listeners has one of our t shirts and they wore it to the gym, which I don't know if that's a hey. good thing or a bad thing because, like, it's the shirt you're going to go get stinky in. I mean, I <laughs>
0: hey, will take whatever we can get. <laughs> we can take whatever we get. Yeah. But wore it to This g- means it's a good, comfortable shirt. Yeah. yeah. So shout out to T Public for making a, a decent right. shirt.
1: That's right. We appreciate it. Um, But yeah, I wore the shirt to the gym and somebody there recognized the shirt and was like, hey, I listened to that podcast. Yeah. And so if you're that person and that the, said, hey, like,
0: in. <laughs> Like in the eastern part of Tennessee. Yeah, like I mean, far
1: from well, far from here. I far mean, from here. Still is far yeah. from here. <laughs> it's closer than China, but it's still far from here. <laughs> but that was pretty cool. So if you're that yeah. person that said saw uh, a girl in the gym and said, "Hey, I listen to that podcast. I want to know who you yeah. are. Send us an email. Land the plane today at gmail dot com. Yeah, we hit gonna us meet up you. on social media. Yeah, we'll know who you are So, but thank you for uh, listening. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, uh it's, this
1: is a this was a big weekend for us, Jonathan. We're um, we're both confessed geeks, nerds, lovers. I was wondering of,
0: where you're going with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: what it was. Yes, and it was the release of Avengers: Endgame. Oh! <laughs> And before you start yelling at us, no spoilers, no we're not going to spoil no anything. No spoilers,
0: no spoilers.
1: But we're both too big of fans, not to at least talk about it for a minute. Yep. Jonathan, what was your initial reactions to the movie?
0: Uh, Big... <clears throat> During it or afterwards or what do you you mean? Any of the above? Yeah, sure. Man, all I know is that I don't know that a movie has drawn me in to the middle of the the action and all that quite like that movie did. There was a few parts there where, I mean, I I know my pulse had to go up and I was just like, (laughs) you know, like getting just getting down. I mean, it's like, throw me a sword. I'm in.
1: Yeah. For um,
0: sure. And just the audience. I mean, I don't know if when you went, the audience was reactive. But, I mean, there was like people, you know, hollering at the screen. And, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Especially this one part. And I'm not going to say exactly what the lady said. But when um, when some characters show up, like in the, in the movie or whatever, when some characters show up, um, she was just like... Oh yeah, bet ba- you know. What I mean, like yelling and oh, yeah. and stuff. And so it was really, um, just the the whole thing was very, it was very very well done. Oh and for it, sure. And it was so, um, like it pulled me in so much that I'm really gonna have to go watch it again just to kind of, you know, give myself some some like things to think about. Right. You know, and I, I don't want to critique the movie like, well, they didn't hold, you know, and all that kind of junk. It's like this is entertainment, people. Mm-hmm. If if I get entertained, then it's a good movie. You know. Right, for sure. There can be issues or whatever, but um so I'm not going to harp on stuff like that, but just overall I I want to watch it again to see just kind of what I missed maybe the first time, you know.
1: Yeah, no movie's gonna be perfect where you can just you know every little thing about it is just perfection. But man, I think it's because it was like ten years in the making and this conclusion to this big storyline that I was I was in completely. Mm-hmm. But I'm always in. I mean, I want to take off my shoe and whack somebody with it just because I was feeling feeling the power. I <laughs> need I needed, I needed a, a weapon of some sort. But yeah, I mean, I agree. There was there was moments where. There's one particular moment, again I won't say what it was, but like the crowd was so overwhelmed at this moment, they didn't know what to do. And like an applause like broke out because people just yeah. they had to express they had to do feelings something. somehow. Yes. Yeah, and um I I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. Um, a good good real good conclusion to that song of, of films, but
0: Yeah. I mean, there was people like like showing emotion when it wasn't like something terrible or whatever was going on in the in the thing, but like there was people getting kind of teary eyed just at character development and and you know that kind of stuff. So I mean, it was really they did a really good job. I'm,
1: yeah,
0: I I can. Let's get go right right now. Um, is there a movie starting right now?
1: I'll give it. It's is kind of late when we start recording this to go to a movie right now, but I. I'm a I can be an emotional guy. Like I'm I'm I've got I'm a guy that shows emotions. Like when something impacts me. Dude, I ain't going to lie to you. I might have had eight different times of <laughs> a tear try to roll down my face, two full-blown tears run down my face at some points from the first 5 minutes to the end. I mean, I was one of those people, man. I just was caught yeah. up in it, especially after the last 10 years and and the cool thing is about I was talking to my son, he's 15 and I remember taking him to the first one he was like six, you know mm, yeah, and it's just that whole journey man, it was
0: pretty I, cool, I loved it I, getting all choked up, yeah, it
1: got a lot of good stuff. good stuff, good stuff, so good stuff y'all probably didn't tune in for an in game review <clears throat> if you would like us to do movie reviews, yes. <laughs> we can do some bonus content every once in a while, but no, it was uh it was good, but we both did that this weekend, well, you did it on Thursday cause
0: yeah, we went all, we went Thursday night eight thirty.
1: I had to wait till Saturday morning, but yeah. I avoided all I got the spoilers. My
0: kids, I got my kids into bed like at twelve thirty at night. <laughs> I, I had they to go to school late. the next morning. You had to be late. It was worth Dad it. of the year. You got good kids though. Ah, yeah, yeah, they
1: handle That'll it. That'll be all right. Yep, yep, yep. And so, one
0: of them actually got to go the next night and watch it again with another friend. <laughs>
1: yeah. Jealous of that. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on. Um, just jump into tonight's topic. I keep saying mm-hmm. it tonight, y'all, I'm sorry. I keep getting in trouble for that. My wife's like, you know, somebody could be listening in the morning. Yeah, and I'm not going to get in trouble for that, too. But I can't help it. It's dark. It's dark. <laughs> <laughs> I can't control myself. It's been a long day. But uh, we, we had a great response from our last show, if you haven't checked it out, um, talking about just the science of evolution and some of the stuff that was with it. And then with Easter showing up, uh, we celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago, and that um, I guess it was just a week ago, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. it wasn't a couple of weeks ago, just a week ago. And that that kind of I think the mixture of the two things kind of inspired us to talk a little bit about um, just the resurrection and uh, the evidence behind it. Is it you know is history support the resurrection? What's some what is some factual it just things? a bunch
0: of Christian hoopla? Yep,
1: yeah, just a. Uh, Big old make believe story, right? So, Jonathan, how do you want to jump into this? I think I think we talked about we got some some quotes we want to share with y'all. Right?
0: Yeah, because um, <clears throat> here's the thing: if you are not a believer, then the Bible, um, especially the you know the more supernatural aspects of the Bible, uh, then you you probably don't hold to those. You probably don't believe it, and that's a That's okay. I mean, if you don't follow God, you're not going to follow His Word. Um, However, I think we need to look at uh, just some things about how history in general is is kind of figured out, and and um, like, can the Bible be a historical book, not just a you know a a theology book, but can there be a historical? Can it can it have a basis of historical? Accuracy, uh, and then you know maybe some um, just hearing from some different historians about um, ancient history. I guess is what we would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's ancient; it's a long time ago. But you know, so I think that's a, a good place to kind of start. Is just what do what do people who are Christians and or non Christians, but are historians who ought to know these things, what do they say about it?
1: Right, so let's jump into this. One of am I want to share for you is, um, and I apologize for probably saying some of these names incorrectly, but I'm going to do my best. This is from E.M. Blakelock. He's a professor of classics, Auckland University. He said, I claim to be an, an historian. My approach to classics is historical, and I tell you that the evidence for the life the death and the resurrection of Christ is better authenticated than most of the facts of ancient history. Pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, another one for you here, uh, this is in regards to Luke, which is uh, the author of one of the Gospels, and he's also the author of the book of Acts, which is telling of, you know, of course, the life of Jesus and then what happened in the early church and what happened after Jesus ascended. Uh, Sir William Ramsey, who spent 15 years attempting to undermine Luke's credentials as a historian and to refute the reliability of the New Testament, finally concluded this. He said, Luke is a historian of the first rank. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Again, there's a guy that was trying to prove it wrong, like take away Luke's credentials or his you know, ability to tell history, and then um, turn into supporting him 100%. This is Clark Pinnock from McMaster University. He said, There exists no document from the ancient world witnessed by so excellent a set of textual and historical testimonies. Skepticism regarding the historical credentials of Christianity is based upon an irrational bias. So, basically, it's not telling us if... If you, if you just refuse to believe in the New Testament, and especially like the writings of the, the authors there in the New Testament, if you refuse to believe that, it's an ir- irrational bias that you just don't want to believe it because there's too much in history that, that, that shows that it existed and it happened. And the last one I got for you um, is from F.F. F. Bruce at Manchester University. He says, if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. That there's so much supporting them that it would be, without a doubt, you would believe it. But because there is a religion tone to it, instead of just secular writings, that people tend to discount it and take it away. So another really, thought, was very interesting quote from a historian now. so mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think part of the, you know, again, going back to kind of the issue of people just see it as the Bible, so immediately they just kind of toss out The historical accuracy of it, Um, but if we look at, I mean, there's so many different places in the Old Testament that it has described cities. It just, you know, described the fall of cities and and civilizations, all those kind of things. That and separate history, separate like archaeologists go to these places and and you know look through ruins and all those kind of things. And over and over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible is supported in things that they are finding in uh, historical accounts from other people during that time. Um, and I, I uh, came across this, the uh, just talking about some other writers that were writing about some things that were going on at the time. Um, we've got uh, Polycarp, um, he wrote, and uh, he was an apostle of John, and he he spoke about the Lord Jesus who suffered sins even unto death. Uh, Justin Martyr noted in his uh, dialogue with Tripha the Jew that Jews of his day claimed that Jesus was a Galilean deceiver who they crucified. Uh, jo- Josephus is possibly the the most well known Jewish historian of the time of Christ. Uh, confirmed his death, he wrote that Pilate you know him from the the um, what we read in the in the Bible, Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross. Uh, the Jewish Talmud says, on the eve of Passover, they they hanged Yeshu, which is another uh, like a Jewish name for Jesus, and said they found Nod in his defense and hanged him on the eve of the Passover. Uh, and then the Roman historian Cornelius Tacitus confirmed a wise man who was called Jesus. Um, Pilate condemned him to be, to be condemned and to die. And uh, the Roman writer Phlegon speaks of Jesus having been crucified, but then that he rose after death and exhibited the marks of his punishment. So these are all non-biblical accounts of Jesus' you know living dying and some of them even talking about his resurrection so there's there's a lot of evidence outside of the bible that are they are taking as i mean they they take these books as historically accurate and and they talk about jesus so it's not just the bible that that talks about these things
1: so, so basically, what this does with these historians and these other peoples, and plus the evidence that's out there, and the the studies, and even archaeological evidence, the question is not whether or not these 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 people really lived. There was a, a Peter, John, James, or was it Jesus that walked the earth? Mm-hmm. There was these are real people that really happened. These stories are what happened. Yeah. So the question is, did it did it not, or did it ha- did it did it happen, or did it not happen? That's not a question. We know this stuff happened. The question then becomes: Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he was? Did right. did, did did he go to that and cross the, the and the resurrection? Yeah, yeah, and then then the tomb was because the resurrection is what determines really the truth of so much of it. You know, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and we also need to think about um, the types of books that were written, the types of stories, things like that that were written. Uh, obviously, there were some there was literature that was written from from a Um, entertainment kind of standpoint, short stories and some things like that. But for the most part, if you were an author who you wrote a book and it gained any kind of popularity, it was because of who you were or because of the subject that you were writing about. Mm -hmm. So a a nobody from Jerusalem writing about a nobody – from Nazareth, it's just not gonna, you know. I mean, they're just the, nobody's going to, to to kind of take that seriously and expand on it because we're talking about pre, you know, printing press. So for anybody to to actually get a copy of a book meant that someone had to sit down and write the book word for word. They were called scribes, and they they would have to rewrite the books. And then hand them out, and rewrite, and hand out. So, just for for a lot of logistical reasons, um, all kinds of things, you just didn't write about. It's not like us today sitting down and anybody can have a blog. You yeah, know, sure. anybody well, can. We have a podcast. We have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. um with people self publish all the time. It it just was totally different. You weren't just writing. Um, just for the sake of writing there there had to be a big reason um you had to have some following, you had to have you know all those kind of things or the people that you were writing about there there had to be some an, enough um enough interest and stuff like that in it for it to even make sense
1: right and I think this is a good time to point this out too that you could easily say, that we, we know the, the books of the Bible, the New Testament, were written at different periods of time. Some were written mm-hmm. a further away from the time of Jesus' resurrection, some were written closer. But the one thing that we do know is that the majority of these books and these letters and stuff were written while there was still witnesses alive, that were, yeah. that were alive during the time of Christ, during His life, during His resurrection. So if these were written and then shared, there would have been people that would have witnessed these events and could have easily disputed the events in these stories or or spoke out against them, which would have immediately disqualified them as any type of writing to to hold dear, you know, or to keep close to you. So we also know that, that it wasn't just generations later, they finally wrote these letters, and it could be some make-believe storytelling. It was written at the times that there were still people alive. That could have easily refuted it, and I think that's
0: important to add, too. And eyewitness accounts, especially during—I mean, now, obviously, eyewitness accounts, but especially then, because so much was uh, stories that were handed down, just word of mouth. You know, uh, somebody would tell their kids the stories over and over. Those kids would tell their kids stories over and over, and it would become, over time, um, legendary, you know, mythological, all those kind of things, but— these these were written, the the Gospels were written all within about seventy five, like seventy, seventy five years at the most. Uh, the the book the Gospel of John was the last one written, and uh, it was written like sixty five, seventy years, possibly after after Christ uh, died and came back to life. Um, the book of Mark was was the earliest one written, and it was written. Um, some people say as early as just a few years like 10 20 something like that uh, or as as possibly as late as like 30 years or so after after the events took place so especially in ancient world kind of time that's super fast mm-hmm. I mean that's 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 very quick and like you say there was eyewitnesses that if you're putting something out as historical which I mean in the book of Luke I mean he pretty much just starts it out saying, "Hey, I'm wanting, I'm writing to you so that you'll know what happened. This is what we're talking about." And you know, he um, works with eyewitnesses and all those kind of things. So, these the the books were written for historical. I mean, I I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the the guys that were writing they probably felt like, I'm writing just historically what happened i don't know that they really even felt like at the time this is going to be read by millions and millions of people for the next thousands of years right you know
1: and i i got to imagine it was it was some of these people because as they as the as the ministry started you know after jesus did die and ascended and all these things after the ministry started i got to imagine there was a lot going on. There was a lot to do. There wasn't really mm-hmm. a lot of time just to sit down and write that. Now, luckily, we had a guy like Luke who was around and interviewed these people and talked to these these people and was able to, to write the stories. But even the other Gospels, you think, they probably got to some point, I'm just imagining in my head, especially, I know John for a fact, where he got towards the end of his life or, or knew that the end of his life was approaching and was like, I need to get this stuff officially written down on paper so yep. that, that people beyond me can have it. Because... That was the one and thing so they were does told it to do. Yeah. And they were told to do that, like be witnesses. So if you know your physical life's fixing the end, the only way you continue to be a witness in my head is you write it down. And so you mm-hmm. can share that with generations future. And that's what they did. And that's why yep. sometimes there was a gap. But again, there was still plenty of people alive that witnessed it. So Yeah.
0: And there were other um there were other people that <clears throat> even some of his disciples that wrote wrote things down and you know, we have records of those, that kind of thing. But they weren't included in the Bible. The right. the council that met and all that decided what goes into the Bible. Uh, some things they, they left out. But there would have been some that had these events in there, you know. And so I, I think a lot of it was, let's write this down because they knew how word of mouth would would change things. Yeah. So let's write it down people will know they they can come back to this. This is what the truth is instead of just relying on on word of mouth. So I you know, they were they were wanting to be as accurate as possible, obviously. And uh and just the fact that the four gospels were written years apart from each other without as far as I know, not a whole lot of like collaboration between them. Right. Um you know, Peter, Mark, um I believe, worked a lot with Peter mm-hmm. in in writing his and, uh, and that kind of thing. But, I mean, they were written, some of them decades apart from one another. So it wasn't like they got together and was like, hey, guys, you know, check this out. This is what I'm writing. You know, did I remember this correctly? And, hey, let's come up with this religion, and we're going to talk about it. And it wasn't like this collaborative effort to produce the four Gospels. It was... Four different guys, two of which were disciples, two of which were not um, that came together and and put these things together not really with each other but yeah. separately but yet they agree you know the books are, are just are they align themselves with one another, especially Matthew Mark and Luke.
1: Yeah, and you could easily say this is a whole nother show or or topic. Yeah, probably. But you know, and I, but I'll just echo that saying. You might say you might be out there and go, "Well, isn't there inconsistencies between the four gospels?" Maybe some little things that, that happened, to maybe the way a story was told, or the or the, some of the wording, or you know, what one witnessed, and maybe what one didn't. Maybe this one includes part of a story that this one doesn't have. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing in them that mm-hmm. contradict the other one to prove the other one wrong. It, they're right. they all they all coincide together um, to still tell the same story. There's nothing that causes disagreement between them, I guess, is what I'm saying. But like I said, we could probably go a lot deeper in that in a future show. But now that we kind of set that basis, um, I think we need to move to that resurrection and get get deep into that, because that's the thing. You can sit here and, you know, you may question, did Jesus really heal those people? Did he really bring people back from the dead? Did he do all this stuff? Yeah, I, I mean, I believe in the Gospels. I believe that's what he did. But at the end, the greatest thing he did was die on the cross. Take upon the sin of the world and then be buried in the tomb, but yet rise again. That resurrection.
0: Yeah, the resurrection.
1: And if that was real, then everything else, you know, why wouldn't everything else be real? Yeah.
0: But so. if that was fake, then it's kind of the rest of it's kind of a house of cards that right that kind of falls down. So, so let's yeah, jump I into that. A, <clears throat> I think it's the one the one big one. All right. So um what we're gonna what we're going to kind of w- try to walk through is just some evidences for the resurrection uh, and then some things that um, that have been brought out as uh, arguments against it, different things like that. And uh, I I came across this in, in kind of reading some things. Um, it's, listen to this. It says that a method commonly used today to determine the historicity, I like that word, of an event is quote, inference to the best explanation. And William Lane Craig describes this as as an approach where we begin with the evidence available to us and then infer what would, if true, provide the best explanation of that evidence. So it's not that when, when historians look at things, honestly, anything that we look at in history is... A, a look at evidence, and then you, you kind of use that evidence and come up with, okay, what's the best explanation for this evidence? I mean, honestly, now, like the the moon landing, yeah, okay, actually kind of a hot topic, like did that really happen or was all this evidence faked, mm-hmm. you know? And so historians would look at that and say, Okay, we see this evidence and this evidence and this evidence and this evidence and this evidence. And that the best explanation for all of this evidence is that we actually did land on the moon. Right. You know, because not believing that, you would have to have a lot of other evidence that proved this other evidence wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of the method that's, that is, is used to kind of determine okay, is this the best explanation? And if it is, that's, that's what we're going to go with, mm-hmm. you know And so with that, a couple of things I think one of the, one of the things that we got to start off with immediately Is the evidence of the empty tomb right. that, that there was a tomb that Jesus was buried in And then there's evidence that that tomb was empty later mm-hmm. So let's jump into that one first
1: so it starts, just to to, to recap, that there was, uh, after he died and it was time to be buried, that they put him in a tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, and that he willingly gave them the spot to bury Jesus, and they went in there and they dressed him and went through the proper procedures of death and burial back then, and mm-hmm. what they did with the, the linens and the spices and different things.
0: Which the tomb would have been like a <clears throat> either a natural or a man-made kind of cave or or halt like a an area like inset into the side of a hill something like that Mm -hmm. so it's not a you're not burying somebody and pouring dirt on top of them right they're they're kind of inside of a cave kind of an area
1: yeah and then they roll a stone in front of it but let's make sure we describe the stone we're talking about giants potentially up to like two tons that you'd have to use (laughs) levers Levers, i I say like uh like a well I don't even know well, pro yeah, yeah type thing. to be able to move this stone and place it in front of the tomb, and then they sealed it with the seal of of Rome, like the i I don't know the proper name of the seal, I'm sorry, but there was a seal that said if the seal's broken, it's like a big deal, and then they put two guards there, two Roman guards at the side of the tombs, and that's how yeah. they left
0: it, yeah, and obviously this wasn't for every you know for everybody in Rome that died, correct, but if if it was a big enough deal, and and you were a you were killed by the state, and then, you know the the the, the Jewish like the high priest, those kind of guys went and said, hey, you know we need to make sure this is squashed because this was a big political uprising and all those kind of things. So let's make sure that nothing happens, you know. And and that's when they place the guards and those kind of things,
1: right? So it was very well secured. These guards, yeah. very highly well trained Roman Roman guards. Um, nobody's coming around to mess with those guys. Yeah. I mean, that was certain death. And the seal itself, it talks about if you were caught removing the seal or breaking that seal um, in in Roman times and Roman law, that that was immediate death. <laughs> like if you Romans were, like to kill people. Yeah, if you were not authorized to remove that seal for some reason by Roman government authority. You would die. I mean, that was immediate yeah. death. So why would you take that risk? It would be a, a lofty risk to pay, especially for disciples who, as they took Jesus, spread and ran off the majority of them, yes. including Peter denying Christ three times that night because he was afraid for his life. Yeah. I mean, he could have joined Jesus upon that cross that night. Yeah, so.
0: and even after then, we we see the, the disciples on multiple occasions in a room behind locked doors because they were they were afraid of the Jews.
1: So they get there uh, that morning, on the third day, um, as Mary Magdalene and the other Mary approached the, the tomb, the stone was rolled away, seal was broken, Roman guards appeared to be asleep, I guess is the best way to describe it, and the tomb was empty. So, let's talk about it. Okay. Why is that? There could be many explanations for that, right? Because, I mean, it's just, just go steal the body, right? <laughs> I mean, what what happened then? So, what do we want to start with, Jonathan.
0: Well, I, I guess one, um, the I guess the first one is it was women. I mean, it was women that came and found the tomb, uh, and you might not think that's a big deal. However, uh, even even here in America, if you think of movies that were made fifty, sixty, seventy years ago, even less than that, mm-hmm. but especially that, um, who were all the main characters, men or women? Men. Who were the heroes, men or women? The man. men. Men. Um, who were the most notable characters, good or bad or whatever? It was the men. It was the men. Yeah. You know, um, it was very male dominated, and uh, for especially this time in history, uh, women just didn't. I mean, they weren't even like second class citizens, you know. And we've and we've talked about this a little bit beforehand. Um, so for, for someone to be writing, if, if this had been a fantastical view or some kind of story or legend that they were kind of making up and, hey, let's see if we can fool a lot of people into doing this, whatever, and they were just wanting to make up some kind of fantastical story, they would not have made up the fact that the first people to witness the resurrection were women, especially these women. Right, You know, it just would have, it would have been men. Mm-hmm. And so just the fact that the authors left in that, that women were the ones that discovered the empty tomb first lends a lot of credence to, Hey, this, I guess this has got to be true. Cause if it wasn't, they would have gone with men, right? you know?
1: So, okay. So that's a great part of the story. And so let's, let's say that the, the disciples, a common maybe belief, is that the the disciples went there and took the body. Like they they did all that. So for that to happen, these these men who are in great mourning, who just fled, who separated, who did many things that, that, that moment, of course they did come back together, we know that, but here they are. They would have to have snuck to the tomb in the midst of the night. They would have had to have defeated two Roman soldiers, which I, don't, I mean, I don't care if there was 10 or 11 disciples there. They were not trained to defeat two Roman soldiers.
0: No, Peter was so good with a sword that he cut a dude's ear off. Yeah. it's was probably aiming for the neck. I mean, <laughs> her head or something. I mean, you know, if you're going to hack somebody with a sword, you're not going for the ear. And he didn't go after soldiers. Right. A lot of times when we talk about Peter cutting off the soldier's ear, he didn't. He cut off the servant of the high priest's ear.
1: Who probably didn't have a weapon to defend himself.
0: Probably not.
1: And if you draw your sword on a Roman soldier...
0: You're dead. You're done. You're, you're, I mean... It's, it's over. I mean, it's, it's seriously, in that day, it would have been like, hey, Dustin, let's go attack a couple of Navy SEALs. Yeah. Y'all don't maybe know what we look like. <laughs>
1: I couldn't even take I got
0: a real seal. alone <laughs> A Navy seal. <laughs> yeah. One, I mean, it's just not happening. No. Uh, you know?
1: And then, even if we took, like, eight of our best friends, we still ain't going to win. No.
0: Unless uh, those were, like, former Navy Seals.
1: I told y'all, I'll just cried during the Endgame, like, eight times. All right? I'm
0: not taking down a Navy seal. Yeah, we like watching superheroes.
1: <laughs> but, but then, okay, so then they have to take those guys down. And then, they would have to somehow, they would have to break the seal, which, again punishable by death if they figure it out. And then they would have to roll that stone away. And it's even described, uh, this is from uh, Josh Mc, uh, McDowell and his Evidence for the Resurrection. And he's, he talks about that it's the way it's described is it had to have been a rolled up a slope and that it was almost in a position that looked like it had to have been picked up and moved out of the way. It just wasn't like rolled back like a couple of feet so somebody mm-hmm. can crawl, crawl in. This thing was removed from the entrance of that tomb, which would have took a great feat of strength. There many, many people to do this. Yeah. And so they had to go up there and they had to knock out You've these been making some noise. And do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you'd been making some noise. You'd been, yeah.
1: And then you gotta get the body out of there. Yeah. And you gotta...
0: Which brings well, up another thing. It's a great it's, heist. I'm just telling you. If, if you go into a tomb and there's a body that's wrapped up in linen, linen and cloth and all those kind of things, which one thing... It said that it could, I mean, the stuff that they wrap around them and the the spices and some of those things that they they put on them as they're wrapping them up could have weighed up to like 75 pounds. Right. Okay. So, I mean, they're like wrapped up. Um, if you're in there and you're trying to get in, get out as quick as you can so you don't get caught by more Roman guards, are you going to take time to undo all of the, Burial garments and stuff like that, and and take the naked body out with you. Yeah, and, you and, and let's just think about that.
1: Yeah, and the garments and stuff were still in place, right? Like where the body would have been. It wasn't like they were thrown on the floor and just knocked out of the way. Yeah, they were still there. So
0: yeah, because the at least one author, if not a couple, um, make mention of the grave clothes being left there. I think one of them even goes to, as far as to say they were like folded sitting you know, kind of sitting there, so if you're doing the body heist, you know you're you're just gonna grab and go, you're not gonna take the time to undo you know all those kind of things, so even even little um little seemingly you know unimportant little clauses in there and that you know or or little things in there, little facts further go point to yeah that they didn't steal it there there was you know the the tomb was just empty
1: right and so i mean when you start adding all those things together um and and there's still gonna be some more stuff we go through just just the ability to 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 pull something over there would have been quite dramatic now um and if now we can get into the like the roman guard and and the pharisees and stuff if there would have been um if there would have been evidence that they were it was broken into and that something happened like that, don't we think that there would have been immediate like dispute of of the situation? But instead it describes that uh, I know in the Bible it describes that the Pharisees could not really say what happened. So they even bribed the soldiers mm-hmm. to say, Hey, they came in the middle of the night to take it because yeah. because they didn't take it. They didn't do anything yeah, with in, it. They knew something had happened.
0: Yeah, Matthew, uh it's in Matthew twenty eight. Uh, verses nine to eleven, or eleven to fifteen, actually, um, yeah. That the Pharisees paid the soldiers to lie, and they basically would have had to say, "Hey, we'll make this, we'll make this right." You know, we'll cover you, because if a Roman soldier had been caught sleeping on the post, dead. Yeah, you know, I mean, Rome, They like to kill people, so yeah. If they had just fallen asleep, they'd have been dead. Okay, mm-hmm. and so and you would
1: have woken up when somebody was trying to roll a massive two-tailed stone. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Just saying.
0: Um, so they they paid off those soldiers to lie, and uh, a, a Dr. Paul Meyer, he's a he's a historian. He calls this positive evidence from a ha- uh, from a hostile source, and he says, in essence, if a source admits a fact that is decidedly not in its favor, the fact is genuine. Okay, so the Pharisees had a problem, and their problem was there's an empty tomb, and we're not we don't know what to do. So, with that given problem, they wanted to 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 generate evidence to somehow um, make it up an excuse for that problem. And so as a, as Dr. Myers says, as a hostile um, as a hostile source. If you're trying to cover something up, then you know it's true, right you know, and so it's it's one of the biggest evidence the Pharisees paying them off What we can you know it's it's almost verifiable that there was an empty tomb and they didn't know what to do with it
1: mhm mhm all right, so Jonathan, anything else you want to throw out there about the empty tomb before we move on kind of like the next step the next the next stage of of some of this stuff that we know about what happened
0: yeah, I think the uh um, just the, even the fact that it was Jer, uh, Joseph of Arimathea's that it was his tomb. Uh, he was part of the the Jewish Sanhedrin, which it's like maybe our Supreme Court kind of. Yeah, you know, I mean they were they were in charge of a lot of stuff. So this wasn't just some Joe you know off the street kind of deal that that lent him his you know the grave. Um, this is a big dude. I mean, he was a very popular, well known. And so if if he had been involved in this somehow, people would have found out. Or if the disciples had done this, you know, and and there was like this um kind of conspiracy and, and cover up, they had stolen it, all those kind of things, he would have he knew who to go to. He knew who to go find. And and he would have started, you know, doing his own kind of investigation, all those kind of things. So, it would have been very, very much like somebody, you know, here in the United States that is a big deal being in the middle of a cover up and that kind of thing. It's just going to generate a lot of doubt, a lot of questions, a lot of all this kind of stuff, unless it was just, it just happened, you know? So, it's not like some unknown person. Has this, you know, this grave, and some unknown people, you know, put somebody in there, and then, oh, it's gone. These were these were very popular Jews of the day, so you're not just you're not just creating this this false thing that happened, and actually getting away with with telling everybody that this happened if it wasn't true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so then it goes kind of the next step of the story I think Jonathan is is the fact that there was there was a, a, a lot of people a lot of witnesses that after Jesus after they found the tomb empty and Jesus was not there from that point on and we're talking about a 40 day period of according to the bible from when the resurrection to what we call the ascension Jesus ascending back up into heaven it tells a story in the book of acts so about a 40 day period there that he actually appeared to many, many witnesses, including up to over uh, 500. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here we are talking about many people that were alive, that that were followers and were not followers, that he revealed himself to, including the day of the resurrection to to Mary and them at Mary Magdalene and stuff at the at the tomb, and then later to the to the disciples again, including Thomas, who at first when Jesus showed up to the disciples he wasn't there, and then. They were like, Thomas, we've seen him. And Thomas was even like, I have to see it for myself to believe this yeah. because of what he just experienced, which a lot of people I, can understand that maybe. Yeah. And then Jesus Jesus was there, you know, right next to him, basically said, look, here's the holes in my hands, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. So there was many witnesses that, that, that claimed to see him that cannot be disputed uh, any other way. You know, mm-hmm. there was no... Jesus looked like running around or anything like that. That that pretended it was it was him, and we're going to understand that a little bit later more when we get into the disciples themselves. I think, and, and the journey they took. So,
0: yeah, and you know this. I mean, just like Thomas, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Thomas. Just like Thomas, everybody else is going to have the same reaction. Even Peter and John were the first disciples to run to the tomb. Okay. They ran to the tomb, they looked in, and the Bible says they went away kind of not knowing what was going on. They couldn't understand what was going on. Then they went back and told the other disciples. Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas's reaction is like anybody else now or then would have reacted. Oh, so-and-so, they were dead on the cross the other day, but now they're alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, not believing it. I mean, if we tried to convince some people around here that somebody had come back to life after they had been dead, are they—they're not just going to take your word for it? No, you'd be run out of town probably. <laughs> yeah, you'd be—I mean, you'd either be run out to of town or thrown into an institution, right? You know, um, or just—you know—you'd just be the talk of the town, that kind of thing. So, how in the world would these disciples? have been able to convince so many people that this actually happened Mm -hmm. unless they could actually go find out for themselves. They could go see it for themselves, which is more evidence for the empty tomb. We shouldn't shouldn't think that that there weren't a a lot of people going by being like, man, I'm going to go check this out. Those guys are fruitcakes over there. There's no way somebody comes back to life. I'm going to go look around this, you know, in this tomb or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there would have been people out searching, all those kind of things, because nobody comes back from from the dead, right? So just like Thomas, hey, I got to see this to believe it. I think a lot of other people would have been the same way. And so, as more and more and more and more people started coming forth as eyewitnesses, including, like you say, one time it, it, there were like 500 people, that's, the on, that's one of the only things that that is decent at, like is real evidence that, that would be that would be able to grow, you know, yeah. if people actually saw it and they actually started hearing it and then words started spreading and that kind of thing because people just don't believe that somebody would come back to the dead from the dead right. that was not a Jewish belief they did not believe they believed in the resurrection of the dead at the time like when god comes back and you know all those kind of things like the end times but for somebody to rise from the dead like right now that they didn't believe that. That was not part of their belief system. So it would have been totally anti-Jewish religion you know, for, for somebody to just come back to life like that. So it's not something that they're just going to believe. Right. So they're going to have to be shown a lot of evidence.
1: I love this example Josh McDowell gives in his, his writing. He says, Let's take the more than 500 witnesses who saw Jesus alive after his death and burial and place them in a courtroom. Do you realize that each, if each of these five hundred people were to testify for only six six minutes—that was including cross-examination—you would have an amazing fifty hours of firsthand testimony. And to this, and add to this, the testimony of many other eyewitnesses, and you would well have the largest and most lopsided trial in history. Yeah, it's just that. You think five hundred people is that really a lot? Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot. That is a whole lot. Um, We use far less witnesses to. Put people away for life or murder and different things. I mean, it's it's to have that much eyewitness, firsthand knowledge is a huge amount.
0: Yeah. And knowing that that these this was written early enough that those five hundred witnesses, they could have been tracked down. You know, hey, who said that? That was you know all that kind of stuff they could have they could have gotten back to some of those witnesses it wasn't like they were dead for you know two centuries or something and they just came up with a number
1: and then you had you had got, you had people that whether well, kind of labeled as hostile witnesses that were people that were would have been against Jesus being resurrected that wouldn't have wanted that to happen a great example would be paul Paul. If you don't know the history of Paul, Paul used to have another name. It was called Saul. <laughs> he had a name change. And Saul was a Pharisee who who was a leader in the in the Jewish church, and he persecuted Christians. And he was there giving approval for the, to the first martyr um, of, of Christianity, Stephen. And, and he was doing those things, and he was going about persecuting Christians, and he was not... Not...
0: <laughs> he was not a Jesus fan.
1: No, not no. at all. Uh, and he had everything to gain by not... For Jesus not coming back. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, that's what his life had been set up for, is to be a religious leader, and he would have had everything that he wanted basically in that position.
0: Yeah. And he was the best of the best of the best. Yeah.
1: And he encountered Jesus on the road, and he uh, was blinded and, and went and was healed. And his life dramatically changed to, to, being that persecutor, to being Saul, to now becoming a new creation, like we we talk about through salvation and all that stuff, being born, he, he became a new creation, changed his name to Paul, and he became a great teacher. He wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament, or his writings to mm-hmm. other churches and cities. And to the point, like he was so well disliked that <laughs> whenever he came, when, when Jesus was, was going through the process with him of, of turning him, there was a lot of people that were like, mm.
0: There was a lot of Christians. Uh, yeah, a lot that of Christians. Yeah. Like
1: uh, do you know who this guy is? You know, yeah. and we're supposed to be among him now. Let let him in to us. That yeah. does not sound. Y'all good. sure about this? And so here was a guy that went from high to just low as far as society. I mean, he was beaten. Yeah. He was stoned. He was mistreated. He was imprisoned. Just hor- a lot of horrible things that he didn't have to go through, but he did because of the. The change after he saw Jesus himself.
0: Yeah, really, before before his conversion, from an earthly standpoint, he had, I mean, he kind of had it all. He was, I mean, he was well up in the ranks of the Jewish synagogue and those kind of things. I mean, he was set up, and he went, yeah, like you say, he went from that to, I mean, nothing. And eventually was, you know, was killed for his faith.
1: Yeah, he'd been a star witness. I mean, that's that's really what he have been yeah. in a courtroom a star witness. So, so let's lead that, uh, Jonathan. I missed something. You just you just jump in and slap me upside the head, okay? But I'm getting excited. So, <laughs> let's lead that Paul's life because I want to talk about uh, the, the disciples themselves. That what happened with them from pre, you know, at the crucifixion, what was going on with them to that point of of after the resurrection. I kind of want to go there and talk about how their lives are a testimony to the facts of the resurrection. So, basically, what I'm talking about here is you have these these eleven guys. We know Judas hung himself there during that during that time, and so you had the eleven disciples, and they even uh, followed Old Testament teachings and and had a new disciple chosen. So they were back up to twelve. And the dramatic difference that these, these 12 disciples went, to, went through from as, the, as the, the death and the crucifixion was happening, and they were pretty much heartbroken and devastated by losing uh, their teacher, losing Jesus, and then to have to see him buried. And now all of a sudden, the tomb is empty, and even their reaction at first was like, what's going on? And then they see Jesus, and they, they, they have that, that witness experience. And then you see um, as the Holy Spirit comes upon them and all those things you see a drastic change in their lives not this this boldness that appears to them because now they've experienced the understanding that Jesus is still alive and it doesn't it empowers them by bringing the Holy Spirit to them and empowers them to do even more and their life becomes a dedication to serving Jesus Christ where they all all 12 of them plus many, many, many others became martyrs for, for their faith. It became They died because of their faith. They didn't, they didn't earn wealth. They didn't get rich. They didn't get fame at their time. They faced persecution daily. They had to run sometimes. They had to hide sometimes. But yet then they'd go out in the streets and proclaim this message and great things that were happening, but they all eventually faced horrible deaths before it was over. You could argue that John didn't, But John lived a long life, and he was a prisoner on an island for the last portion of his life. That's not a great way to spend (laughs) the rest of your life, okay? Including to the biblical account, we get James, his head on a platter. I mean, his head is cut off and put on a platter at a party. I mean, you don't chase a lie to have that ending, you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: and that's the thing, is, is if the disciples had come up with, hey guys, let's, you know, one, let's steal the body nonsense. It, it, even if they didn't do that, they just came up with this whole hey, Jesus came back to life, and that's what we're going to claim. So let's claim that, and we'll, we'll keep this thing going. You know, one, it, it, I mean, they, they were a bunch of knotheads in many ways, you know. So something had to kind of band them together which the resurrection did, you know, because at that point they just knew uh, they were all in, you know, that kind of I know that I know that I know that I know, and nothing's going to stop me now. Right. We'd we'd never seen them like that up until then. And then just the fact that they died, let's say that, that it was a lie, okay? So you got 11 different people. And then they, they brought in Matthew, which so back to twelve, and he was an eyewitness. He was with them. The Bible says he was with them all the time, uh, prior to Jesus' death. Um, so for for all of those guys, the the original eleven at least, they all died, they all lived a terror kind of in in a way, a terrible life, and they all died at the hands of someone else for a lie for a lie that that didn't gain them anything. It's one thing that if if you lie and you make a million bucks off your lie and then you somehow get killed for it, well, you were lying for the million bucks, you know? What were they lying for?
1: Yeah, they had nothing. There was nothing for them to trade off, you
0: know? They had no motive there. I mean, because it's not self-serving. They got thrown in prison. That's a great way to serve yourself. I mean, nothing about it would give them. Um, it, it would would be anything that would that would give them, you know, the goods or anything like that. It was all a lie, and for all of them, not a single one of them to turn around and say, "You know what, guys? Hey, <laughs> peace out. I want to keep my head. I'm. I'm. Nah, this really didn't happen." Yeah. You know, people will die. People will die for the truth. You know, at times, people die for the truth. Mm-hmm. People don't die for lies. No. We don't. I mean, just generally speaking, they're not going to die for lies, especially all 12 of them or all 11 of them. I just, you know, just don't buy it.
1: When they didn't have any gain leading up to yeah, that nothing. point. nothing. Nothing, nothing. And then, and then you had the disciples who, I mean, I think about Peter especially, who before Jesus died in the town that they're in, that he's denies Christ three times, as was predicted. It was told in the Old Testament and that Jesus told him he was going to do. Well, he denied Christ three times, and then a short period of time later, going back out into that same city and preaching the gospel. And and it even says that, that many, I think it was like 3,000 or something that yeah. day, came to Christ because yeah. here was a guy that not long before was so afraid that he was... Hiding like he was was lying about Jesus. He cast out
0: a little girl. Yeah,
1: yeah. And yeah. He he did all that, and now just a little bit of time later, he is out there in those same that same place preaching the gospel boldly to the point where three thousand people come to know Christianity. And let me tell you, here here's my opinion. I could be totally wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong, John.
0: But you're wrong. There's and- some
1: really good <laughs> preachers out there. But for 3,000 to come that day, there had to be something more going on, I think, than just good preaching. Yeah. That those 3,000 people had started hearing, they knew that Jesus was alive. And so there was already a little bit of like, I need to know that truth, because apparently Jesus lived through this. Like, he's back alive. He died, but he rose again, because there's so many witnesses testifying to the fact, I better get on board. You know, I need to know what this is about. and then. You know, And you can sit there and yell at me about Holy Spirit and all that stuff. Of course, all that was involved. I'm not trying to take any of that away, but I'm saying there had to be knowledge out there going. Mm-hmm. And that 3,000 that day came in, in the same streets. He went from fear and hiding. And Why would he have boldly gone back out on that street, a new man, mm-hmm. if Jesus wasn't alive? Yeah, If he wasn't resurrected?
0: Yeah, that, that much change would not have happened in somebody in 40 days no you know that
1: no makes no sense so let's uh let's start wrapping this thing up a little bit um, do we want to address a little bit real quick like a couple minutes real fast about some of the arguments they make there, there's, there's some stuff out there I'll just go through it real quick they say it's the wrong tomb that they they went back to the wrong tomb y'all come on <laughs> come on now come on <laughs> Joseph, we told you Joseph Arimathea gave him the tomb I think he knew which one was he his he yeah, yeah. The soldiers were still standing. Do you think the soldiers went and stood next to the wrong one? They put the seal next to the wrong one? I mean, come on.
0: Um, The swoon theory. I like that one. The swoon. That Jesus was just, he wasn't really dead. He was just kind of out of it. Yeah. You know, so then they wrapped him up in all of the stuff. He was really near dead. He was crucified. He was put on the cross. He was crucified. Roman soldiers (laughs) who were professionals at this, they really like killing people. They. They checked to see if he was dead. You know, they stabbed him in the side. Blood and water came out, which con- which is congestive heart failure. Um, you know, all those kind of things. Then they wrapped him up in all this stuff, put him in a tomb behind like two or three thousand dollar bolt or two or three thousand yeah. pound boulder, and then he didn't have food or water for a couple of days. Yeah, and then apparently he regained his strength, was able to somehow get out of all the wrapping that he was wrapped up in. Put him back and- neatly. Put him back knee and move the thing out of the way all by himself.
1: Karate chop the soldiers.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's not happening.
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, mean, it's just – We have some pretty great medicine in today's world. We have come a long ways. Yeah. And if you crucified me, I don't think there's enough medicine that we have now that within three days I can get up and just be fine and walk around. It just – that takes that takes a lot to believe in itself so I mean those are just a couple of little arguments and stuff and, and there's, there's one that more. one
0: that I think too is this is interesting when it kind of ties in with what we were just talking about is that that it was basically like Christian influences that hyped up the resurrection but um, it was kind of the resurrection like we were saying that really launched Christianity. So how would it have been? Christian influences that came that wanted to hype up the resurrection. If it was really the resurrection that was the, the, you know, kind of the catalyst of Christianity. And um, this one, this one fellow, right, he said, since the belief in the resurrection was itself the foundation for Christianity, it cannot be explained as the later product of Christianity. It started, it kind of started the whole thing. So how could it be a product of that thing? So, and and it goes to with like pagan influences, you know, there's other pagan religions that have, you know, somebody coming back to life and that one's just kind of out the window because some so many of those pagan religions didn't, weren't even in existence during this time um they were also not very influential in this particular area and uh, and too i mean whatever the disciples were they were at first they were jews who believed in god you know so for them as as devout jews to somehow allow pagan religions to come and influence you know what they wrote about God and Christianity, those kind of things. It just it just doesn't make sense,
1: right? Right. And and the last thing I'll say is, you may still be sitting there going, "Well, what if the what if the disciples just stole the body? Like, what if they did do all that?" And so let's say they did pull off that great heist and and trick the soldiers and all that stuff. At the end of the day, they if they stole the body and just took it, they gained nothing. They gained nothing, but they changed dramatically. And then they all died that Mars death. It just wouldn't make sense for them to do that. Jonathan, I think we've been going for a little while here, and I think we need to land the plane.
0: We'll, yeah, man. We'll bring yeah. it down
1: to land. I just want to read this quote, um, and we can add a little bit to it. This is from Professor Thomas Arnold. He was 14 years a headmaster of rugby. He's the author of the famous History of Rome, and he was appointed to the chair of modern history at Oxford. He's well acquainted with the value of evidence and determining historical facts. This is what this great scholar said, okay? I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Man, that's just powerful to me. Yeah, here is a guy that this whole life is is history and and, and discovering everything he can, and he says not one, not, not not anything is is has more evidence and more been explained to the fullest than the fact that Jesus Christ came and died and was resurrected.
0: Yep, yeah.
1: that's huge, man. That's yeah.
0: huge. and and especially when he says to the like to the fair inquirer, I yeah. think is what he says. Yeah, um, and you know the. If you're not a believer, so many times, and I think I think Christians should be open minded to to things, they should walk into things with being able to use our senses and and figure things out and and not be just closed minded to everything. Um, but at the same thing, if you're not a believer, be open minded to this. You know, let be a fair inquirer into this. And just look at the history. Do your own research. Do your own as far as going and getting some historical evidences um, and, and looking into this to see, okay, what is the actual historical evidence that this guy named Jesus lived, and and that these other guys that followed him around lived, and that they did all you know some of these things that they were talking about. Okay, and just from a historical standpoint. Be open minded to this, and just see what you can learn without being, um, without looking at it through the eyes of "this can't happen." It's just a bunch of theological mumbo jumbo, and I'm not listening to it because then you're you're just being as closed minded as as you're kind of accusing Christians of being about mm-hmm. other topics. So, um, kind of be what you're asking us to be. And be open minded to this possibility, and uh, and and kind of look into it. Uh, a, a book that I would recommend is uh, it's called "The Case for Christ," and uh, it's written by a guy named Lee Strobel. He was actually a um, an award winning journalist, and he kind of went on a you know a, a thing for trying to figure out, okay, did this guy actually exist or not, and what's the historical evidence for this? And he went around and um, interviewed a lot of different historians and those kind of things. And through that, in, instead of, instead of kind of proving Christianity wrong, he actually became a Christian. And so really good book, pretty easy read. Um, I, I, you know, suggest get that book, uh, the case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Uh, if we think about it, we'll put it in a, a link to it, uh, to like an Amazon or something, uh, in our show notes, you can, you can check that out, but just be open-minded to this. And, uh, did you know there's a movie? Yeah, I did hear, but I've I haven't not seen, the seen movie, it. So we're not recommending yeah. the movie. But yeah, <laughs> I recommend can't the recommend book. the movie because I've not seen it.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, great, man. That was, uh, that was I, I know that was fun for us to dig into and, and exciting to kind of dig a little deeper into that. So we hope you enjoy it too. But we need to wrap this thing up and let you... Go on about your day, whatever you guys schedule. scheduled. So, um, but we want to hear back from you. Don't forget to go out to the uh, social medias, uh, Facebook, Land the Plane Today, uh, Instagram, Land the Plane Today as well, and on Twitter. We're trying to build up a little Twitter uh, presence and conversation out there, so it's a fun place to talk. So that's Land the Plane 247. You can check us out there. So give us a follow on those. If you got other topics you'd like us to talk about, if you'd like to join in the discussion too or send us something, we, you can give us an email at uh, landtheplanetoday at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you there. And uh, if you haven't yet subscribed to the show, uh, maybe you're still checking it out on the website or wherever you listen, um, join you know, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, get on there and give us a subscribe and maybe give us a review. We would really uh, enjoy that. That would be a great help. But yep. the biggest thing y'all can do, to help us out if you like what you're hearing is just tell somebody tell somebody tell somebody spread the word that's the greatest thing it's the greatest gift you can give us and help us in this ministry so we'd love if you do that but i think that is the show jonathan
0: i think let's wrap it up hit the music let's do it. we'll talk to you guys thanks bye y'all